I knew a woman who I have no doubt is a saint. She'll never be canonized, but I refer to her as a saint. And from time to time when I pray, I, I ask her to help me out. She had only one goal, and that was to do whatever she thought God was asking her to do. She spent her time praying for others, keeping a meticulous record of what she was praying for, and when the requests were granted. And by the way, most were granted. She would spend an equal amount of time in prayer thanking God. She had only one desire, and that was to stay in her tiny apartment with its few sticks of furniture, maintain her ministry of praying for others, and then die in her own bed. But that was not to be. She lost her eyesight and had no choice but to move into a nursing home, the one thing she dreaded most. As with all the many things she suffered, that too she made her gift, her sacrifice of love to God, right up to the day she died. Now, the world thought she was either just a nice old lady or delusional and steeped in superstition. She was a nothing, a nobody to most people because she had none of the things that the world tells us are absolutely essential for happiness. But she was then, and she is now, one of the blessed that Jesus speaks of. I knew a man who, by the world's standards, was very successful. He was the embodiment of the alpha male. He could bend anyone or any situation to his will and come out on top. But underneath all the accomplishments of what most considered to be a fantastic life, was a boiling cauldron of hellish pain. He was addicted to booze. He was abusive to his wife and his children who after a while had enough and walked out on him. He created chaos in the lives of those who trusted him and they were often burned. People had long ago ceased to be persons of worth to him just opportunities to exploit. His empire crumbled around him. The world no longer took notice of him because he ceased to be an important man. He was no longer a mover and a shaker in the world. He lost everything. And that was his moment of grace because at that point, he turned to God. As he courageously worked hard to regain his sobriety, he saw the truth about himself, and he began the process of becoming the man God had put him on this earth to be. And he lived long enough to do so and died with great peace. He was one of the blessed that Jesus spoke of both in his late years 
and now for eternity. Our gospel opens with Jesus going up a mountain. It's probably more actually a hillside where he sat down, a visual cue that he was about to teach. And indeed he did, although our translation, he began to teach them while accurate is terribly dry. The Greek actually translates as, he opened his mouth, which ancient hearers of the gospel would have understood to mean that Jesus was about to make a solemn proclamation to the world and to his disciples, his church, which he placed in the world to minister to the world. Jesus uses the word blessed nine times. The Greek word is makarios, which also translates as happy. It is used for the Hebrew ashar, which can also mean to pronounce happy, to call blessed, and in some cases, it can mean to guide, direct, aright. For many of us, to be blessed means that we have as many of the things of this world, the beautiful, wonderful things of this world as possible. And very often, this leads us astray so we can get more. And that's when we need to be guided aright. So Jesus solemnly proclaims something revolutionary. He reverses what human wisdom considers to be blessings. That spiritual poverty expressed in acts of self-denial yields the riches of a generous God who will not deny his beloved anything. That mourning is not just for those who suffer the loss of a loved one, but it extends to those who mourn for their sins, for the damage that their sins have done to themselves and have done to others, and that those who mourn for their sins are assured of being comforted by God. That meekness is actually power. It's the awesome power of being in self-control, self-possession, and no longer a slave to one's passions. That one's hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied in this life and in the next with the intense joy of knowing that one has served God to the best one has been able and has the assurance of seeing God's mercy and justice exercised on the day of judgment from which no human being can escape. But those who struggle to be clean of heart, by not allowing themselves to be distracted by the tantalizing false lights of this world, are guaranteed to see God, who alone can bring the soul to the happiness he created it for. That those who know Jesus as the source of peace and try to bring him where unbelief exists, even if rejected, have the status of being children of God now and for eternity. That those ridiculed, mocked, harassed, even put to death because they are disciples of Jesus who strive to do what is right, true, just, holy, belong now 
to the kingdom of heaven and will have it fully when this life ends. Jesus gave the Beatitudes to teach us that as his disciples, we must not only question the values of the world, but we must each do something far more difficult. Question, scrutinize ourselves. How enmeshed are we with the values of this world? Does the life of the believer reflect the radical nature of the Beatitudes and help bring others to Jesus Christ? Or does the life of the believer reveal that one's religion is, in the end, mere window dressing, and it's the values of the world that forms who one really is. If we have never thought that the Beatitudes are radical, we have not thought it through well.